0: Going to do another one-off message and then another one next week, and I love doing these because I can really focus on one topic, and today we're going to talk about you got to watch where you sit. Watch where you sit. I'm sure when you came in today, you were looking and you were trying to find a seat and you wanted to get in a certain spot, and uh, some of you, how many of you have been to the movies lately, or have you gone to the movies? How many of you, you've got a certain spot when you go to the theater, there's a section you want to sit in, because if you get too close, what's going to happen? you got to look up like this. You don't want to do that. You, you know if you've been to movies, there's a certain place you want to be. And sometimes if you walk in, it's full. You may want to walk out because you don't want to go sit in a certain spot. Where we sit sometimes is very, very important. And, and I would say sometimes who we sit by is very important, right? I mean, have you ever walked into a location and saw somebody and go, oh, no, i got to go, right? <laughs> there, there's uh, situations where you see who's there and you don't want to go sit near somebody in particular. Where we sit matters, it matters a whole lot to us. And some of you are here today and you're sitting at the back of the church because, hey, you got to go eat when it's done and you've got to be the first out. So your location is very strategic and I understand that, I get it. But, but the reality is where we sit spiritually matters a lot too. And we're going to talk today about a scripture. And it's one of those that when I read it and studied this week, I had never noticed this one particular thing. And I love reading the word when I do that. I find something I've read maybe a thousand times, a hundred times, but I've never noticed something. And, and you're going to see this this morning. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. It's also in your notes and Miss Becky's got it up on the screen. I'm reading out of the NIV. Now, this, uh, this occurs after Jesus has been crucified and he's been laid in the tomb. Okay, so to give you a little context. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Everybody say sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And notice that one sentence again. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came and from heaven, going back to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. I never really paid attention to the fact that the angel rolled the stone back and sat on it. I mean, he could have done, Dennis, he could have done about anything. If it would have been me, and I would have been like, Hear me now, I'm going to move this stone. I'm very muscular, you know. Here's the stone. Been over there flexing or something. No, that's not what the angel did. He rolled the stone away, and God does everything that God does, guys, is for a reason. And when they showed up at that tomb, the angel could have been anywhere else, but he was sitting on top of that stone. That means something, because when you conquer something in life, when you, when you have a great victory, what do you want to do? You want to celebrate. You want to do something amazing, and in this situation, we see this angel. He's rolled the stone back, and now he's sitting on top of this stone. Very, very important. Why is it? Because where we sit matters. We've studied Elijah a couple of different times, and I'm just going to hit on him a for just a second but if you remember the story of elijah he done he's done a lot of amazing things but in one particular situation he had a battle with the the prophets of baal and uh, he had called down fire from heaven and the prophets of baal were destroyed jezebel the queen heard about it was very upset sent him a text message that said i'm coming to get you and he's just accomplished this great victory but then what does he do he runs he runs away and i want you to see exactly what happens here because there's a point Look at 1 Kings 19, verses 3 through 4. Elijah was afraid because of the message from um, Jezebel. Did I say Bathsheba earlier? I said Jezebel, thank you. Jezebel. Anyway, he got the message from Mary. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Now, it's very significant that he sat underneath a broom bush because there's some features of this bush that uh, mean something. And the first thing you need to understand about broom bushes is that they grow in a very dry place. You wouldn't find a gro- broom bush in your garden at home. You wouldn't plant one of these things on purpose. They grow in places that it's dry, it's not a fun place to be, there's not much growing out there, and yet in this environment, this bush will grow. The other thing about a broom bush that's very significant is that it produces bitter fruit. The root down inside of this bush is very, very bitter. And sometimes if people were starving half to death and there were no other options, nothing else to eat, you could pull that up and boil it, but it was very, very bitter tasting. It wasn't something that you wanted to eat. And the final thing about a broom bush is they would be harvested at times, and they would be cut up, and they would use some of the the fronds from it, some of the different parts of it, to bind people. It was strong, and so they would use it as a way of bondage. For people so here we have Elijah running for his life he goes and the only shade around is this bush that won't really grow much of anywhere else in a dry place but it's also a bitter root and it's used for bondage and that's exactly significant of where Elijah's life is he's at a place where he's running he's at a place where he doesn't need to be and now bitterness has come up in his life and I want you to know something about bitterness, and one of the reasons that I talk about it on a fairly frequent basis is that when bitterness gets down inside of us, it destroys our lives. If you've ever been around someone that has that is bitter, is a bitter person, it doesn't just impact them. The Bible tells us that bitterness, if it's left untended, bitterness will grow up in our life. A seed of bitterness will grow up in our life, and here's what it does. It defiles many. It defiles many. When someone has a bad attitude, it doesn't just impact them, it impacts everyone around them. When someone has bitterness in their life, it doesn't just impact them, it impacts everyone they come in contact with. And the scripture tells us when you find that root of bitterness, you need to pull it up. And yet we see Elijah, because he's disobeyed God, he's taken off running for his life out of fear, he's allowed bitterness to come into his life. The final thing that I see here is that he was bound to it. His bitterness, his fear had now bound him. And a lot of us get bound by fear in our lives. Things can happen. And just a few weeks ago, we used the illustration with Steve where we were talking about handcuffs and, and how we can be handcuffed to situations in our lives. And, and everywhere we go, that situation follows us. And bitterness is one of those things that can follow us wherever we go. So here's what we see. Elijah had gone to a place that he should not have gone to a source that he was eating with that bitterness and he was bound by it. That bitterness was controlling his life. His situation was controlling his life. Why? Because where you sit matters. Let's compare these two instances between the angel and Elijah. Elijah came to a broom bush. He sat down underneath it and he prayed that he might what? I want to die. I just want to die. But then with the angel, we see in Matthew 28, there was a violent earthquake for the angel rolled the stone back and he sat on it. Now that word sat is a Greek word, apano. Everybody say apano. You are now Greek scholars. Congratulations. Okay? You can walk around and go, apano. Nobody will know what you mean, but you'll sound really, really cool. Here's what that word uh, apano means. It means above and above. And beyond or more than. So when that angel sat on that stone, he was sitting above the situation. He was sitting above the situation. So you see the difference? We look over and we see Elijah, and he is underneath the broom tree, but we see the angel who's rolled the stone away, the barrier that the devil was trying to keep, death. Really is what it represented and we see the angel sitting on top of death So you see two situations one person sitting underneath their circumstances and the other the angel sitting above their circumstances And here's the thing Here's the thing I want you to remember today The situations that happen in your life the experiences that you have the past The present some of the things that are going to come against you in the future you have an opportunity You can allow those situations to define you, and you can sit underneath them, or you can allow God to get involved in what's going on in your life, and you can sit above them. But here's the thing, you can either sit under your circumstances, or you can sit on top of your circumstances, but you can't do both. I'm going to say it again. You can either sit under your circumstances, or you can sit on top of your circumstances, but you cannot do both, and you have to make a decision. Am I going to allow what's happened to me to define me, or am I going to do something about it? Tell you, when I was in high school playing football, and recently, just Friday night, some of the injuries, two major injuries on the field Friday night. One young man had to be airlifted out. He's doing better. Uh, the other young man broke his leg. I mean, it was, it was terrible. I had to end, of the game, end the game early. I mean, it was a tough situation. In high school, I injured my leg playing football, and I had these plans. I was going to go in the Marine Corps, and I was going to do all these different things, and this injury, I had this operation on this leg and this injury, and I remember going and going through the whole process, and I came down, and, and the physician looking at me and saying, well, because of this knee injury that you have, we don't think you're going to be able to complete the obstacle course. We're going to have to deny Your application. I'd spent like six months preparing for this. I was structuring my life around being an officer in the Marine Corps. I'd already done all the work, had all the references. I was the ideal candidate. But because of an injury, and I want to tell you, I went into a mini depression for a while. Because when you have a plan for your life, and it doesn't go the way you think it should go, it can mess you up. Well, this really was messing me up in my life. And I'm like, God, now what am I going to do? Now, now what's going to happen? But the Bible tells us that what the devil means for evil, the Lord will use for good. God is able to take all of the situations in our life, and he can make something amazing happen out of them if we will let him do it. And it was during that season that God began to redirect my steps, and I ended up going into ministry and then later business. But I'm here today but because of a football injury in high school that I thought at the time was a devastating event. But I could have gotten bitter. I could have allowed that to get on inside of me because my plans didn't work. Just throw it all away. Who cares? This isn't working. And each one of us has those same opportunities in life. Are we going to let our situations define us or are we going to do something about them? What are we going to do? There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Jehu and I just told you about... Uh, jezebel and ahab terrible wicked king and queen some of the worst people that ever lived and, and they were during the time of elijah here and a, a young man named jehu was responsible for helping overthrow them and reestablishing god's kingdom back in the world and this is what the lord said to him look at 2nd kings 10 verse 30 in the niv the lord said to jehu because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes that's the lord's eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all I had mind to do. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. I'm going to say that again. Jehu, because you were obedient. Because you did the right thing. Four generations following you will sit on the throne. That's an incredibly powerful statement. Because you did the right thing, people that follow you For four generations are now going to be blessed. You know, the truth is, I don't really know who my great grandfather is. I never, I met him as an infant. I don't remember him. I've seen a couple of pictures, but I'm his direct descendant. So imagine something that he did all those years ago impacting my life and now my kids' lives four generations later. God's saying, Jehu, because you did the right thing, I'm gonna bless your kids and your grandkids, and your great-grandkids. Why does that matter? Maybe you are a victim of generational poverty. Maybe you are a victim, or maybe you're from a family where there's addiction that's gone on in your families for generations. Maybe you're a person that has a temper. Well, it just runs in my family. Maybe there are excuses that we have in our lives because of something that has happened in our past, and now we've inherited that. And instead of doing something about it, we use it as an excuse. And guess what? There's a lot of that in our world. Well, that's how dad was and grandpa was and great-grandpa, so that's my heritage. That's not what Jesus died for. Guys, Jesus died to give you a brand new heritage. And it may not make sense to you, and you may not think you deserve it, and the truth is maybe you don't. But he gives you an opportunity. He pays a price for you, and he gives you a different option to make a a life in the world that will now change your generation from going forward. You can't change what's happened in the past, but listen to me, folks. You can change today. You can make a difference today. You can make a decision in your life. You know what? This may be our history before, but as of today, this is the way we're going to go now. And that's what Jehu did. Because he was obedient, it changed Four generations afterwards. Dad and mom, if you'll break the cycle of poverty or of sin, your kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids will never sit under it. You have to get the place in your life where you're willing to stand up and stop looking back and look forward. And say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What's gone past? Maybe that was the past. Maybe my family has a bad name. Maybe my family has a good name, whatever it is. But as for me, I'm going to make a decision that this is how we're going to do things. And let me tell you something, guys. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. Salvation is immediate. When we receive Jesus, we're saved Praise God, that's an awesome thing. But him being Lord of my life and discipling me and changing my life, that takes time. Just like last week we talked about planting the trees, that we plant the trees and it takes time. The rocks and the areas in our life that that the Lord has to smooth out, that takes time. And you have to be willing to go through God's process. But if you're willing to go through God's process, you will see results. And I've told you guys I started working out. Rob and I started working out about three months ago. The first two weeks, it was horrible. I did not want to go back because I hurt so bad. I kept thinking someday I'll look like Joey, but I'm not there yet. You know, and and it hurt. And I remember getting up in the morning thinking, man, I just want to lay here. And I didn't see results. And even, even after the first month, I didn't necessarily see results. But after about six weeks, two months, I started seeing results. But we live in a culture that thinks, I want to see results right now. And that's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's a long haul. Salvation is instant. Sanctification takes time. And how much time does it take? The rest of your life. And you've got to be willing to make that decision. You have to get to the place in your life, you're like, you know what? I'm going to make this decision because it's going to affect my family, but it's going to affect those that follow me. So think about it. Think about your place. Think about your life. Is that you? Listen, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, we use this uh, scripture in our Running with the Giants series. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for who? Your race. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love that word pioneer, the one that went before. Have you guys ever looked around this place and ever thought, what was it like for the first people that showed up here? Can you imagine what it must have been like when they showed up and somebody said, Hey, let's go over here and let's, let's build a pasture. Let's build a house. They didn't call somebody to come do it. They were out there moving those trees, moving those rocks, building bridges, doing all this hard work. They're the pioneers. And now we get the benefit of them going before us and paving the way. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our pioneer. He went first. And he made our way straight. And so we look to him as the author and the perfecter of our faith. And listen to what Jesus did. Check this. This is amazing to me. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. Patty, here's what that joy is. You. 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 Jesus endured the cross for you. You say, well, I'm not perfect. No, you're not. But he endured the cross so that you could change your life, that you could change the generations that would follow after you. He endured the cross. And here's my question for you today, and I know I'm preaching strong. What are you going to do about it? Are you just going to come to church or are you actually going to allow this word to penetrate you and say, you know what? I don't like the way things are going. Maybe I need to do something about it because Jesus has already endured everything and he's already paved the way, but you've got to follow in that path. You've got to make that decision to do something. Nobody's going to get up and go to the gym for me and nobody can get up and do your faith for you. You have to do that but he will empower you if you'll cooperate with him. How many of you want to have a good life? Can I see everybody's hands? Good, good. Put your hands down. How many of you want to have a terrible, jacked up, no good life? Good. So we're all on the same page here, right? We're all on the same page. We all want God to bless us, but we have to participate in that. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, he could be talking to you. Go ahead. That's right. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about what these seats look like, where we sit, what that really looks like. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to sit in a meeting with the founder of the most successful hotel chain in the world. It's the highest-end hotel chain in the world. He came and spoke to a group of about 30 of us. And he made some very interesting comments, but I really remembered this one. He said, one of the things that our hotel does that most hotels could only wish they could do, he said, is we have a higher degree of customer service than anybody else. He said, when one of the people that's going to stay at our hotel pulls into the front, when the door is open to the car, they are greeted by name by the gentleman or the lady that's opening the door of the car. When they walk inside, our staff greets them by name. When they walk up to the counter to check into their room, we ask them how they're doing. Are they ready for their business meeting they're in town for? You know, they, they go above and beyond. He said, what we do is we want these people to know that we know them, and we're there to serve them, and we have a place for them here. They are welcome in this place. It really struck me, and the reason it, said it really struck me is because that correlates with what Jesus says about me and you about where we sit. Look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He was getting ready to go back to heaven. Here's what he said. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Have you ever gone to a game, maybe a football game Friday night? Maybe you've gone to a restaurant and you're running behind. Some other people are ahead of you. And you would call them and say, hey, do me a favor, save me a seat. Save me a seat. That's what Jesus is telling the disciples. I'm going ahead of you. And I'm saving you a seat got a seat for you, but I'm going to come back, and you're going to get your seat. You think that's, that's pretty cool, but I'm going to show you two scriptures that even get more specific. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says this, and God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Revelation 321, this is Jesus talking, he says this, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me to the one who is what? Epano, the one who sits on top, like that angel that sits on top of those situations. The one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me. Come on up, Wes. Here's what I love about this. Jesus says, I got a seat for you. Joey, I got a seat for you. Here's what's cool about that. It's your seat. Nobody else's seat. It's your seat. I love to walk in and walk in some of our restaurants in town, and and maybe I'm late, which, hallelujah, I normally am. And and I walk over, and I look over, and it's full, and somebody will wave at me and go, Pastor, we saved you a seat. Nobody else is going to sit in your spot. This is your seat. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows your name. You are not part of this mass of humanity. The Bible says you're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. There are no mistakes, there are no mistakes. They're only masterpieces. Wes is going to sing a song. As he's singing, I want you to stay in an attitude of prayer. I want you to listen to these words. And then I'm going to come back and close us out this morning.
1: When will come me I was lost, but he brought me in Oh his love for me Oh his love for me Who the sun says free Oh his At last he has ransomed me, oh, his grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me, oh, he died for me. chosen, not forsaken, oh I am who you say I am, you are for me, not against me, oh I am who you say I am, I am chosen, not forsaken, oh I am who you say I am, you are for me. I am who you say I am Oh, I am who you say child of God yes I am when
0: Elijah found himself underneath that broom bush he is at the lowest part of his life he said I want to die so how did God respond to that did he condemn him Did he just remind him, look, a couple of days ago we brought fire, where's your faith? Did he come down and do that? No, he did not. He met him at the point of his need. He met him in such a way that he would listen. And he restored him. He said, get up. Come to the front of the cave, get up. He didn't condemn him. New Testament, my favorite story in the New Testament. Jesus says, who of you that has a hundred sheep, if one of them wanders off, you won't find him. But you got to look at what Jesus said. He said, he leaves the 99, the good shepherd leaves the 99. He doesn't say he just goes and looks for him. He says he what? Finds him. Here's the thing. He finds you wherever you are. Wherever you are, in the under a broom bush, in a gutter, and your heart just broken, wherever you are, he comes to where you are. And Jesus said, said, He doesn't condemn the sheep, he doesn't tell the sheep you're dumb. He picks the sheep up, puts him on his shoulders, and brings him back. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. If you're here today and maybe you're thinking, you don't know what I've done. I don't deserve that kind of love. I don't deserve that kind of restoration. I don't deserve that kind of hope. Can I tell you something? It's not about you. It's about Him and what He did for you. His grace, His love and His mercy is greater than all of your sin. He knows what you've done, but He died for you anyway. Why? Because He knows your name, and you're a masterpiece. And He's got a chair, an empty chair, waiting on you. Last thought. Nobody can take your seat. Nobody can take your seat. It's your seat. It's Nathan's seat made for him, it's Carol's seat made for her, it's Aaron's seat, there's a seat. And Jesus said, for those that are victorious, give the right to come sit with me. How do I be victorious? Surrender my life to him, receive him as Savior, but then allow him to be Lord. Walk out the rest of my life and allow him to be Lord. Is that going to happen overnight? No. Step by step, one step at a time. So here's the decision you've got to make, guys. If you want to change your destiny, if you want to change your history, maybe, maybe you come from a good family, but you've made bad decisions. Maybe you've come from a bad family, but you're ready to make some good decisions. Regardless of how you got here, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you make the decision. And you change your forever. And it starts today. So everybody bow your heads just for a second. I'm not here to embarrass you. That's not why we are here. To care less about that. What we care about is your life and your eternity and your family and your future. Your past can be gone. If you're here today, nobody looking around, this is a holy moment. If you're here and you look at your life and say, Pastor, I've never received Jesus as Savior but I, I want to make a change. I need to make a change. I want to change my past and I want a better future. I want to take my seat. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. See your hand. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christ follower, but like that sheep, you've run off. And it hasn't gone like you thought. Life isn't going like you thought. You don't feel like you should be restored, you don't feel like you deserve forgiveness. Can I tell you the love of God is so great that there's no condemnation? He's not mad at you. Somebody needs to hear this. God's not mad at you. He just wants you to come home. He's not mad at you. He just wants you to come home. If you're ready to come home, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. See your hands. See your hands. Lots of hands. You can put your hands down, guys. Folks, lots of hands up this morning. That's what I want us to do. Everybody take a moment. Everybody place your hand over your heart. Just let's all do this together. There's nothing magical about this, but what I want you to do is I want you to forget about everybody around you for a minute. It's a holy moment. We're just going to pray. Okay, and just repeat after me and let's all pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, You know me, you know my life, you know the decisions I've made, you know what's happened to me, you know what I've done. I'm asking you today, Lord, forgive me, change my life, be my Savior, but be my Lord. I'm giving you everything from this day forward. I am yours Here I am Lord Amen If you prayed that this morning And you meant that Here's what changes for you Everything There's no condemnation It's a matter now of walking that out Whether you go to this church Or another church You need to be there You need to come to classes. You need to learn who you are in Christ. Because we don't want you wandering away again for your sake. Amen? We want you to become the person that God's called you to be. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Mother Teresa said something that really has impacted me. She said, If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. We believe that around here. We believe the most important thing that God wants us to do is to love him and love people. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. Go ahead. Turn turn to your other neighbor and say, I don't really know you, but I love you. Okay. That's all right. You go ahead. But we want to be that kind of church family. Here's what we want to be to you. Here's what we'll be to you. I can promise you this. We won't be perfect as a church, but we'll be authentic. We won't be perfect, but we'll do our best. And our best is to help you get where God wants you to be. Amen? Will you guys do me a favor this morning? Let's all stand on our feet. It's 1152. If you came today and you didn't believe God still does miracles, you just saw one. Okay? We love you guys. You are a loved people. You are a special people. You're an anointed people. And you are the answer that the world needs that doesn't have hope. The hope of the world, the light of the world lives inside of you. When you leave this place today, shine that. Be the light that they need. Amen. Grab your neighbor's hand. And I'm going to pray over you and let you go eat. matter of fact, this prayer can be your lunch prayer. You're welcome, okay. Father, I just thank you for these amazing people. Lord, I thank you for the hearts today that have come back to you. That's why we're here. Father, I just pray that uh, you would bless us as we go. Help us to be your light in the world. Lord, let your love just flow out of us to our families, to our friends, to our classmates, to those we work with, to our community. Change our community, Lord, by changing us. Help us to really be your hands and feet. Father, for those that are going out to eat today, I pray you bless their meal and their fellowship. Lord, bless our afternoon together. Keep your hand on us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week, guys.
1: Nobody I want to serve with more than you.